Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sex Ed Shouldn't Suck. I'm Jen. And I'm Kaylee. This week, we are going to be talking about ancient sex. Ooh. Ooh. So ancient. (laughs) Basically, we're going to be talking about sex in different cultures around the world in the ancient times, which I think means BC. I don't actually know what the definition of ancient is, but (laughs) really old. (laughs) We're off to a great start. (laughs) Well, anyways, it'll be really interesting, full of history and stuff. So we hope you enjoy. Okay, so starting off, I was thinking that it would be good to talk about the virtues of discussing sex within a culture. So Mm. in my opinion, the way that a culture, a society in general views sex can have a pretty big impact on how people are treated in a society, particularly people that are often not treated well in a society, aka women, BIPOC, differently abled people. And LGBTQ plus folks <laughs> tend yep. to be the first that come to mind. So to start off, like I wanted to discuss mm-hmm. the cultural views that our modern times in America has of sex and kind of how that relates to how people are treated in our society. I guess I think about growing up in the 2000s where slut shaming abounded, right? Mm-hmm. Like some of my earliest memories of media um were about Monica Lewinsky and mm. how she was just absolutely torn apart. I mean her life was, you know, pretty pretty much almost ended like her her public life was because she was the butt of every joke for, you know, going down on the president, right? But mm-hmm. but she was a 20-year-old woman Mm -hmm. and he was a what 50 something year old man who was literally the most powerful (laughs) man in the country married with a family Mm -hmm. and he was not held to the same standard that she was you know and people I mean much maligned women throughout growing up people like Anna Nicole Smith or Jessica Simpson like just portrayed as these dumb bimbo Mm -hmm. blondes who you know sexualize themselves and so therefore kind of deserve to be treated like jokes yeah. So yeah, I, I think that as a society, my hope is that we have moved a little bit past that, but it still happens for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think growing up, I think a lot about how there was a very sex negative culture mm. in some ways. So sex was definitely used in terms of marketing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sex sells was something that you would hear a lot and you would see a lot of young women in particular marketed for their sexuality and that mm-hmm. being sold as a commodity. I remember that being pretty big. And there was also this weird binary of, particularly for young women, of like, you need to be sexy that's a very important thing but you also need to be chased <laughs> so yeah. there yeah, yeah and and this didn't have there wasn't really the same kind of messaging towards men it was a lot more mm-hmm. that was a lot more focused on women especially the 
you know, the virtues yeah. and the virginity and everything. Whereas for men, I think there was a lot of equally harmful messages probably around it being shameful to be a virgin and, and, yeah. you know, not caring about sex. So, and, you know, a lot of that was perpetuated in, like I said before, marketing in the media and we grew up with the internet. So <laughs> we all know how yeah, that turned out. Marketing on steroids. <laughs> I wonder how much of that is about confusing women and making sure mm. that they can't think about anything else except if they are socially acceptable enough and mm -hmm. uh, if they are pleasing enough to men in whatever way, whether that be they are chaste or they are sexy enough. Mm -hmm. So they don't have time to think about feminism <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or like other ways of, of liberation, liberating themselves, liberating the people around them. Right. Yeah. Or just be, being free to be as sexual or as not sexual as they want to be for themselves. Right. It was very much about, these things that you're doing, whether you are a slut or not, mm -hmm. <laughs> are is for other people, is for men specifically. Yeah. yeah. And I do think a lot of this has changed over the last few years. So we've seen a pretty big difference in the way that the media, so think TV shows, music, whatnot, mm -hmm. uh, has treated sex just in a general basis, as well as we've seen an uptick in more comprehensive sex ed in schools. So mm -hmm. I think there's been more of an emphasis on women's pleasure in more recent years and on women's autonomy. And, you know, I mean, obviously with uh, LGBTQ plus folks, we've seen like pretty big strides there in the last 20, 30 years, as far as like being seen in culture, as well as, uh, marriage equality in the United States and other countries around the world, I think even in the last decade. So not to mm -hmm. just completely shit on our culture's <laughs> views of sex, because I think we've seen some some good things happening. Yeah. So over overall, I think the way that society views sex is is going to have a lot of pull on how people are treated. So in, in going with that, we're going to examine a few different ancient cultures' views on sex based on mm. mostly art and writings. And these writings can be mm -hmm. different laws from the times, religious texts, art texts, <laughs> poetry, writings, stories, mm -hmm. um, as well as medical texts. I also want to say before we get started on this that we could probably do an entire episode on each one of these different countries that we're going to go over, they're gigantic topics, and these are going to be just a skimming of the surface. So mm. don't worry, I will link all of the resources that I have found in the show description if you want to learn more. But just remember mm -hmm. that this is top level because <laughs> there's only so many hours in a day that I can spend researching this. <laughs> <laughs> So to start off, I'm going to take us to ancient India. Ooh, ah. This honestly was my favorite one to research about. So I probably mm -hmm. should have saved it for last, but I didn't because I'm We're indulgent. Pull them in with that hook <laughs> right away. Okay. So to start off, I think it's pretty cool that uh, India is widely considered to be one of the first places where sex education was done through art and literature in mass. Oh. Well done, and, India. Well done. Yeah, good job, India. So this wasn't really done through like classes and coursework. More so, mm -hmm. it was a lot of authors and rulers creating resources that were distributed and could be used by anyone who was interested. And 
a lot of it was very much pleasure focused and focused on Mm -hmm. describing different positions and different philosophies more so than educating on protection or diseases, which I know is something Mm -hmm. that we often wish that our sex education encompassed a little bit better. (laughs) Right. They went too, too hard one way, but like maybe they should have (laughs) <laughs> back a little bit. I don't even know what contraception would have looked like in ancient times, but yeah, you know. they might not have known. I've I've noticed that pretty much every country we're, or like area we're going to d- discuss has some really weird beliefs about semen. Like they think that men releasing their semen is bad for them, <laughs> huh? Unless it's to you know procreate, but to like do the baby stuff. Yeah. Well, th- yeah, that's kind of right. Like if you don't want to get pregnant, then maybe don't come inside someone. They were onto that's something. Tr- that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so there's a few different ancient Indian texts that are pretty well known as far as sex education standpoints. And uh, the first one we're going to discuss is called the Vedas. And forgive me if I'm pronouncing that wrong. I had a really hard time finding pronunciations of things online and I am stupid and don't know how to read the... (laughs) (laughs) I'm stupid and don't know how to read. (laughs) I don't know how to read the um, phonetic pronunciations. Yeah. It's a gap in my knowledge. (laughs) So the Vedas are essentially ancient Indian religious texts and the oldest scriptures of Hinduism. And there's so much interesting in these. So first of all, they talk a lot about the third sex, which are people that exemplify both male and female qualities within them. And Mm. this encompassed homosexuals, transgender and intersex people. And these people were highly respected and protected and completely allowed to live lives freely without any social pressures. So they were not pressured to marry. They were not pressured to have family. They were allowed to participate in these things, I believe, but they were not forced to. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's so wild to read. <laughs> no, man. About that. <laughs> yeah. Just being treated with respect. Yeah, there's a lot of fascinating stuff around how white supremacy and Western influence were the things that pushed, uh, you know, prosecution of homosexuality, trans mm-hmm. people, intersex people. And I think this really just shows how true that is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so also in the Vedas, basically the role of sex in society was spoken about pretty freely and there is a lot of the mixing of spirituality and sexuality together Mm -hmm. and while sex outside of marriage was considered immoral they did put a lot of emphasis on the pleasure within married sex because of the idea that a child conceived while both partners are feeling euphoria brought about a healthy healthy and happy baby Hmm. which I think is like It's nice. I think it's just like, that's nice. nice. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one could assume, let's just, let's just take it very out of context that if you care about your partner enough to care about their pleasure, right. And having Mm -hmm. a good time while you're fucking, then like hopefully other things you care about your partner in a lot of other ways as well. Right. And can provide a good, you know, supportive base for raising a child. So again, I'm pretty sure they were on to (laughs) something. Right. And so then that brings us to the Kama Sutra, which I think is quite well known in pop culture. 
Never heard of her. Who is she? <laughs> You've never heard of the Kama Sutra? Well, let me explain it to you. <laughs> So the Kama Sutra is an ancient Indian text on sexuality, eroticism, and a guide on the pleasures mm. achieved by humans during sexual practices. I think it's often well known, at least in Western culture, as a book of sex positions. Yeah. But the Kama Sutra is actually not all about sex positions. It's about love. It's about finding a life partner, keeping relationships happy. It does involve aspects of pleasure and sex, like sex positions, but it's not the primary focus, contrary to popular belief. Uh, Kama actually is translated to mean sex, love, pleasure, and desire, and Sutra is a written work on a specific subject. And one of the best things about this, I'm going to read you a quote by Anne Hardgrove, <laughs> who is a okay. history professor and author. The Kama Sutra has a special focus on creating pleasure for the woman. A man who fails to provide and bring about those pleasures is subject to a woman's recourse, that is, to seek pleasure elsewhere where she may find it. <laughs> so basically, women are encouraged to find other lovers if their husbands cannot satisfy them. Love that for her. Love that for <laughs> us and for them. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> definitely the Kama Sutra is very focused on women's pleasure and it included all kinds of different things, including how to pleasure a woman with hands as well as penises. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I guess I only, I can only, I just laugh at the word penis apologies. <laughs> <laughs> and the other text, one of the other texts that I saw about a lot is called the Anangaranga. Again, apologies if I am mispronouncing this, uh, which was actually a text commissioned by a Muslim. So in the 13th century, Muslim conquerors entered the northern part of India. And India was not really unified into one country until the 16th century, but the Muslims mm. did occupy a lot of the northern areas. And this brought about a time of a lot of restrictions towards women's, like concealing mm. clothing, keeping them at home, hiding them from the public. And the Ananga Ranga was commissioned by a Muslim, but their view was more so on women being wonderful and beautiful possessions of a man. And it worked as a guide for men to know how to keep their wives happy in a marriage, basically. Interesting. What were the the things about sexuality discussed? But did they still allow for different genders or no? Talk I don't about think sexuality so. Within, I'm not sure about or? other genders. I believe that it did focus on sexuality within marriage, and it discussed essentially how to have a successful relationship and marriage, and how to identify different types of women. And it goes over foreplay and also apparently a lot of different sex positions. <laughs> and then, of course, in 1756, the East India Company, British colonials, colonized India for natural resources and labor forces, and they harshly stigmatized Mm. all of the open sexuality that like Hinduism and, and Indians basically had until right. them and pretty much stamped it out. They, they viewed the liberal attitudes towards sex as barbaric and proof of inferiority of the East. <laughs> cool. Yeah. It, it, I mean, that pretty much tracks all over the world when, yeah, like, when colonizers come in. Right. <laughs> Yep. 
moving on to China. So the earliest thing that I found was a 7th century book of sexual positions and they had different names. I wrote down two of them that I liked. One was two fishes side by side. <laughs> there was no Aww. drawings accompanying them. I guess I could try Googling them and see what we can find. <laughs> and the other was Mandarin ducks entwined. Huh. Aren't those beautiful? Mandarin ducks. I'm going to Google it. Beautiful. But all I can think of are like the Peking ducks that are like hung up in <laughs> restaurant windows. And I'm like, oh, that sounds less nice. <laughs> yeah. But essentially sex in ancient China was considered a way of promoting health and vigor. Hmm. And... Similar to in India, homosexuality was not strongly condemned. In fact, a lot of the ancient Chinese emperors had homosexual posses, I guess. So this is the Han mm-hmm. Dynasty. In the Han Dynasty, almost every emperor had men of beauty to accompany him, which I think is oh. such a great term. Do <laughs> you think they were like eunuchs, though? Or like, I don't know. Not they could people have been. of age? Possibly. That is pretty common in ancient times. <laughs> yeah. I know they had like hella concubines as well. Like that was just an mm-hmm. accepted thing. Yeah. So really an interesting thing that I found, particularly when I was studying ancient Chinese sex cultures, there mm-hmm. is a professor. I'm probably not going to pronounce their name right. Yu Dalin from Shanghai University, known as the Chinese Dr. Kinsey, said, the more prosperous and powerful a dynasty was, the less restrictions it placed on people in sexual matters. While the more weak and corrupt a dynasty was, the more tightly it controlled people's lives and the more severe the constraints it placed on sex. And this is a pretty Mm. interesting way to view this because we see a lot of restriction around sex in Western cultures. And Mm -hmm. the reasoning for this that one of the articles I read mentioned was that Christianity in the West was very closely linked with political power. And Mm -hmm. so it was able to exert a great amount of pressure on the people. So in China, Buddhism was one of the main religions. Mm -hmm. And while Buddhism did say that, you know, disregarding sexual restraint was a great evil they were not tightly coupled with politics so they didn't have a ruling status and couldn't really send any pressure down in the same way that christianity did in the western culture interesting so the way that ancient cultures viewed sex in china was a lot more coupled with how basically how the country was doing Mm. interesting interesting yeah And you see essentially like all the way up through the Han dynasty, a lot of communal marriage, promiscuity, uh, openness with sex. There was not a lot of condemnation for homosexuality. And there was something in the Han dynasty called, I'm going to try to pronounce this right. And we, I, I again, couldn't find a pronunciation of it. Feng, Zhang Shu, which is essentially the ancient Chinese science of sex. Hmm. Yeah, it was a book from the Western Han Dynasty written on silk and bamboo strips that 
was written for emperors because so many of them died young that they wanted to help the emperors reproduce like young healthy heirs so that (laughs) they could keep the line going and this book had everything from techniques and postures to understanding the female sexual response conception different things to avoid herbal remedies i mean it was essentially i guess as close as you could get to comprehensive sex ed (laughs) in ancient china fair fair yeah and the Fang Zhang Shu also had this idea of the art of using women. And the idea behind it was that you would use yin to strengthen yang. And in other words, that idea was that men are supposed to do their best to bring pleasure to women and bring them to orgasm so as to absorb their feminine energy that they release during orgasm. I don't like the language around this at all but at least they're getting orgasms i guess well they they did also have the opposite so use the young to strengthen your yin that was also like an equal concept that was in here but i think as time went on and men kind of had more of the power that was you know the Mm -hmm. art of using women was more more talked about yeah So moving forward in the Song Dynasty is kind of when a lot of these ideals started to go away. And a lot of that is because China started to kind of suffer in this area. Mm. There was foreign invaders, there were wars, there people were not as prosperous as they were in prior dynasties. And this brought a lot about a lot of ideals of female chastity and yeah. Foot foot binding, if you've heard of that, I'm sure, is a really gotcha. barbaric practice that might have started around the late Tang Dynasty, but definitely was very popular in the Song Dynasty. Mm-hmm. And actually, I just learned it did not get abolished until the 1930s. So that was around for a long ass time. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> There's this saying that you have written here, which is awful if you want to read it the starving to death one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a saying when it came to female chastity that to starve to death is a trifling matter compared to being unchaste, which I swear could come right out of the Bible, but it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's this way of controlling women as a resource, which, you know, when you think about ancient war as well, rape is often used as a tool of war. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of makes sense that there would be this time of sexual repression and in this sort of roundabout way to try and like save women. Right. Mm -hmm. But then they wind up being just this tool of oppression, no matter which way you slice it. So yeah, Yeah. (laughs) let's tell people that they should starve instead of, you know, maybe explore their sexuality a little. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's really interesting to see that so far we've gone through two of the different regions Uh, and their views on ancient sex, they pretty much both go from really valuing both sexes or in some, you know, in India, they considered more than just two and Mm -hmm. really trying to view sex as a prosperous, healthy thing that brings about happy and healthy people 
And then over time that just dwindles away and there starts being more of a chokehold on, on women and sex is less about pleasure and more about, well, maybe more about the pleasure of men. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And we see around this time too, not only a chokehold around queer people and other genders, but a total erasure of them, it seems like as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those things seem to be, as far as the three different regions that we're looking at in this episode, overall, viewing the pleasure of women as significant or important is pretty much only done in China and India. The final region we're going to look at is Greece. And I'll just give you a little preview that women's pleasure is not important. It's kind of laughed at, right? It's kind of like the idea of it is just kind of hilarious to them. Yeah. I hope we get to talk about Lysistrata. That would be fun to talk about. Yeah, yeah, we will. Actually, why don't you tell us about it since you seem to already know about it? And I actually honestly only read a little bit about it. Yeah, Lysistrata is a comedy play. I forget mm-hmm. who it's written by, but it's ancient Greek. And the women, the whole the whole thing is that the women band together and they decide to not have sex with their partners until they end this war. But the whole thing is sort of presented as like hilarious that women would come together in some way, that they would not have sex because they, you know, they like couldn't control their sexual appetites. Mm-hmm. So when I first read it, I I read it as this like empowerment thing it's like Mm -hmm. yeah let's all women should do this (laughs) like (laughs) i don't know we had been in in at war in afghanistan for like 10 years when i read it and i was like yeah let's just do this uh and then on my second reading and and reading it in in a class it became very clear to me that it was a comedy and a farce and just the idea of women's pleasure was Mm -hmm. funny to them it definitely was and they pretty much would use it in a lot of plays and and writings like that. So Mm -hmm. masturbation was another thing that was often just joked about and seen as funny. And if a person was going to be masturbating in a play, it was often a subject of humor and it would pretty much always be a woman or it would be like someone low in society, like a slave, if it Mm -hmm. was a man. But I did think it was interesting that they had dildos in ancient Greece called Olispos, Olispos, and they were made out of wood or pressed leather and they were penis shaped and then you would add olive oil to them as lube. Hmm. <laughs> Jonathan, my partner, always makes a joke about ancient Greeks using the ancient Greece. So <laughs> shout out to Jonathan <laughs> for his olive oil Stop lube it. joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. But ancient Greeks really did not have the same care or respect for women, really, in any ways that the ancient Indians or ancient Chinese did. So while the Greek gods did realize that sex was a driving force behind all things, it was pretty much just for men. (laughs) So men were very like pretty much had a very liberal sexuality like they could have mistresses and concubines without being seen as unfaithful and often they would hire prostitutes of all kinds Mm -hmm. of varying levels there were prostitutes that you know were basically like the low of the low and then there was prostitutes that were extremely well educated in skills of greek dance Mm. music and even conversation so right that was just a, a widely done 
thing. And of course, homosexuality was not condemned for men either, but it was pretty much only done between an older man and a younger man. And it was only okay to be the penetrator. Right. Yeah. You couldn't be the, the feminine receiver. How dare you? Right. Uh, yeah. Also worth mentioning that this, these relationships were likely between young boys and older mm-hmm. men. It was a, th- it was a thing. Pet- I think it was called pedera- pederastic, pederastic. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how to pronounce anything. I don't know what my education was in. It <laughs> was even in, the English word. It was in computer science. Um, <laughs> that's why I don't know shit. <laughs> but Can't we speak in Java. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this was really common. This was actually almost seen as a like coming of age for a young man to be paired up with an older man. Mm. I believe for a time, but there's not homosexual relationships between men of the same age. And if there was, then it was a slave usually or, or, or between women. Yeah. And I think it's also worth noting that this is probably the type of homosexuality that was written about in the Bible and why that shit is condemned. Right. Um, Mm. Because it's between a, a young boy and an older man. Yeah. Right. So, you know, we have to, we have to look at relationships within the context of when and where they happened mm-hmm. is all I would like to say about that. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. I mean, it was totally a pedophile <laughs> situation. Yeah. yeah and, and women in this time were very much treated as vehicles for making legitimate children. So mm. their pleasure was not at all considered. If anything, they were there to just make more little Greek boys. It's interesting how that point of view kind of carries on into, continues to carry on into Western culture mm-hmm. until for hundreds of years, pretty much. Yeah. The the working of, of women and LGBTQ folks to get rights in society is a very slow moving process over the years. Mm-hmm. If anything, like the LGBTQ folks theirs really went backwards in some ways. Not not so much from Greece, but from definitely from India, I guess. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah. There's this quote here, kind of in the same vein of what you were talking about, how, how wives bear legitimate children, mm-hmm. where it kind of talks about the different types of women men will sleep with, I assume. And it says, Mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the daily care of our persons, but wives to bear us legitimate children and to be faithful guardians of our households. Mm -hmm. That just strikes me as so, like the amount of emotional and household labor that women were doing at this time and not being paid for it and just sort of being expected to pay for it. And the men getting all of the glory of that, Mm -hmm. like they still own and are the heads of the households and have all the rights, but they've got like 20 women (laughs) to suck their dick, clean their house and give them airs. What the fuck? Yeah. It's definitely, as I was reading about this, I was thinking about basically being a woman in that time, like your lot in life, it's just, it's such a, you have a few options. You can be a legitimate wife and have a bunch of kids, or you can be mm-hmm. a prostitute. And, you know, depending on what level of prostitute you are, maybe your life is a little better or a little bit worse, but you're still, they're so subservient to men, no matter what 
what yeah. like style of woman they get to be. It's it's all with underneath the thumb of a man. Exactly, exactly. Like they have no other purpose. Mm-hmm. Like the mistresses we keep, men keep for our pleasure. The concubines take care of our persons. The wives bear us legitimate children. Like, do they do they have hobbies? Are they allowed <laughs> to like leave the fucking house? I, fuck you. <laughs> I like to think that they, when the men were gone, they all just like sat around licking each other's pussies all day, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that. I mean, lesbianism came from the Greek island of Lesbos, so huh. there were fucking lesbians, okay? True. They were there. Well, they've always been there, Jen. <laughs> uh, you don't, you don't got to tell me. I know that. <laughs> Silly. <laughs> <laughs> They all came from that one island. (laughs) Yep. Every single one. (laughs) Okay. So wrapping up, we looked over the history of sex beliefs and sex practices in ancient China, India, and Greece. So what, what did we learn? (laughs) I think for me, I kind of took away that repression of sex is often used by cultures or like governments as a way to gain power and influence over people. So we saw that as freedom of sexuality changed a lot over India, China, and Greece. Uh, And it seems to be a tool used to oppress people, particularly women and LGBTQ plus folks in this instance. And, you know, if we're looking at modern day America, I'd say it's also used to oppress BIPOC as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of evidence that that has been used as a tool of oppression and specifically white supremacy as well. Mm-hmm. Othering different cultures, othering different ways that people look or or things that they hold in high regard or their sexual practices as savage or not cultured or not refined. And then, yeah. you know, you can say those people suck and we're better. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, criminalize, you know, not just oppress people, but criminalize them. Yeah. I, I think in that sense, I learned that in a lot of these cultures that we might think of as more conservative now, like in India and China and, and you know, some other areas of Asia, about how different genders and different sexualities were not only ex- accepted, but embraced. Yeah. And we don't start to see them be oppressed until things really, you know, culturally starts taking off in the West, like in Rome and Greece, and then of course into Europe and into the Americas. That always surprises me. I guess I just sort of assume that oppression of those things equals conservative. It doesn't <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, I think it really equals power. <laughs> yeah. And particularly, sure. yeah, I mean, it's it's a way to, to keep yourself in power in a, in a lot of these different places when we saw things start to shift towards a more repressive regime, it was typically men in power. And sometimes, like in India, it had to do with religion as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and another thing I took away was that freedom of sexuality, it appeared to lead to a happier and healthier culture. So people of all different kinds of ways are less repressed, whether they're women or queer or differently abled or whatever yeah you i remember you saying that was associated with like better economies and Mm -hmm. you know more fruitful societies more like you said people being free and allowed to be themselves 
Yep. So I guess what that tells us for today. So I mean, just like you better be fucking to help the economy. That's what it tells us. <laughs> that directly helps the economy. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I was going to say. <laughs> not, not necessarily that, but more like the idea that sex isn't something to be ashamed of and people of different kinds of sexualities and genders and whatever should be free to experience life in the way that they choose. And overall that will help people be happier. And when people are happy, they buy more things and the cycle of (laughs) capitalism will consume us all. Thank you. Amen. I was going to say all roads (laughs) lead back to capitalism. (laughs) I think, I think to sort of tie that to today, We know that comprehensive sex education and and having more open discussion about sex and sex education leads to people, especially younger people, having the tools to make better, more informed choices about sex and their own sexuality. Mm -hmm. And we know that it leads people to actually wait to have sex uh, until they feel, you know, more secure in that. So I think that it's also important to note that having a culture that's more accepting of these things is not necessarily a culture that condones any type of sex ever. <laughs> and everyone's just having wild orgies because if you think about it, Greece and Rome were very noted for their wild orgies, but had some of the strictest yeah. cultural beliefs about sex. Um, so this is really a way to, like Kaylee said, allow people to be themselves in whatever way that is, and not even necessarily a way to allow people to just have all kinds of sex. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think you said that perfectly, Jen. Thank you. Thanks, Kaylee. <laughs> You're welcome. So if I um, often do. <laughs> So if you guys have any thoughts on this episode or if you feel a desperate urge to tell me how horribly I pronounced something, please reach out to us at hello at sexedshouldn'tsuck.com. Or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at sexedshouldn'tsuck. Also check out our website at sexedshouldn'tsuck.com. And hey, hey, did you know that it was just my birthday? <laughs> Sometime this month, woo-hoo, I turned 30. Ah, in honor of that. And also, you know, the first day of spring was just a few days ago on March 20th. We are releasing some super cool, super springy merch that's all about the birds and the bees. You know, that sex thing. You'll have to check it out to understand what that means. Yeah, so we've got sweater, like a sweater and stickers and more, so please don't miss out on it. It is a very neat and exclusive design done by the fabulous Kiki, who is a tattoo artist up in Northern California. They did my chest tattoo, and they're doing a thigh tattoo for me as well. A little quail with a cowboy hat. Very excited about it. Now you have to post your tattoos I, I can on post my tattoos. Yeah. Check them out. They're very cool. They're <laughs> Kiki is has such a yeah. cool cool style. And you, if you want to go look at it, you can find their Instagram at Kiki underscore tattoos. And Kiki is spelled K I K I. I feel like people should know that, but <laughs> you never know. Can be K E E K E K E Y K E Y. Actually, don't. It's not that. K K. If you want to support the podcast in other ways, you can check out our Patreon. There are lots of different tiers with lots of different goodies that come along with them, including potentially a shout out in the podcast. We could be shouting you out right now. If you just subscribe, you know, that'd be cool. 
We also have a newsletter on Substack so you can stay informed of everything Sex Ed Shouldn't Suck. Yeah. I don't know if I should say anything else about that. No, we have a newsletter. You covered it. We have a Check newsletter. Subscribe. It's incredible. It's cool. It's it's more intense than the most intense orgasm you've ever had. Am I overselling it? No, no, it's you're so right. <laughs> Finally, we wanted to say thank you, Kent, for mastering our sound. We appreciate Love that guy. you. And folks, you can join us next week for a very special episode in honor of April Fool's Day, which is actually like one of my least favorite days of the year because I'm yeah. very gullible and no, it is. I was traumatized in fifth grade by the entire class pranking me one time. But anyways, we're going to do something really fun to try to cover up that horrible memory in my brain. And that's all we're going to tell you. So yeah. see you then. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Bye. everyone. Bye. Love you. Bye. <laughs>queen of the imperial whores is the best title i've ever heard in my life i want like a sash that says that (laughs) okay your birthday's coming up so i'm gonna get you that wouldn't return that gift (laughs) have you returned my (laughs) other gifts i returned all of your other gifts but that one i would keep (laughs) got it